Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Welcome here. So glad to see your smiling eyes or faces, whatever the case might be. My name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're just joining us, thank you so much for worshiping with the family at Free, whether you're family at Midland Free, whether you're tuning in at home or whether you're joining us here live. We are so thankful uh, for your presence in our church. Um, This morning, uh, our church is going to continue this fall sermon series, which is a break from the normal for me. For me, the normal is to preach through a book because I believe the Bible is the best possible thing that we have that God has offered to us. But what we're doing is taking an intentional look at the church and not just the church in general like we did last week, but the church in specific, the local church here at Midland Free. And we're asking, what is God's will for us? Now, the elders have been on this journey for a long time to revamp our mission and vision and a lot of work's gone into it and we're rolling it out now this fall as we resume indoor worship and we come back together again we think it's a great time to point to the future not worry about the present or rehearse the past but instead look forward to what God is going to do in our church and because we are Bible believing evangelicals our mission and vision is not something that we just plucked from the air or decided sounded really cool on a bumper sticker, but instead it's something we believe came from the Holy Spirit to us through the Word of God. And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is to pull out specific um, big words, or significant words, they may not be big, but they're significant pieces of that puzzle and take a deeper dive into each one of them and show you why they're there and what they mean as we sort of unpack this new mission and vision that we believe God has given to Midland Free. So uh, we're going to do that today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's going to be verses 1 through 4, the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, it would be a great idea to follow along. And the reason is because This is a shorter passage, and I'm really going to dive deep into it. I'm going to tear it up, pull it apart, and show you the innards and give you a good look at what's going on here under the surface. It's really, really cool. And trust me when I say, although I'm not sure how you rate them, you know, my kids do. They're like, Dad, that was maybe one of your better sermons, or not so much, or that was one of your top five. You know, I'm not sure how you rate them, but this sermon is going to be one of my most significant I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be my best. It might even bore you at points. I don't know. But I know this. What I'm talking about today is the single most important thing in all the world. Did you hear what I just said? I'm telling you what I have to say is the single most important thing in the entire world today. Not because I said it, but because the Bible says it. And here it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel. I preached to you. You received. And in which you stand. And by which all of us. The people in Corinth. The people in Midland. Are being saved. If we hold fast to the word preached unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing in the entire world, this is it, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died 
for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. I want to approach it today in three steps, and those three steps are past, present, future. Past, present, future. What does the gospel look like in the past, in the present, and in the future? And I should start, I think, by explaining what the gospel is. We're going to talk about gospel past, but in this section I should say what it is, because depending on where you're at, and we are so glad you're here. If you've never been to church, welcome. Um, But I know that word can sound kind of weird. I mean, depending on which, maybe you've never been to church and you're like, well, that's a weird religious-y term. Or maybe you've been to church and you've been in a certain type of church. Maybe that means like a very energetic, charismatic experience. Or maybe you've been in a different type of church and that means a very, you know, strict, formal, liturgical way of doing things. It could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But let me show you what the Bible means when it uses the term gospel. Starting at the, just the foundations of the word, it's a Greek word, it's really, gospel is the Greek word. Like, it, that is the Greek word. When you say gospel, you're saying the Greek word. It's just straight, it's straight transposed into, or transliterated into our language. The Greek word, you'd say it in Greek, eungelion. And gelion is, is just like, here's the good news. So back, way back when, a crier who's announcing like the victory for his army or his sports team or whatever would just be crying out the good news. Hey, we won, we won, we won. Everyone listen. Woohoo! Good news. Hear ye, hear ye. Get your morning news. Here it is. That's the gospel. That's what gospel means. But it takes on significant and additional meaning when you're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's one thing the gospel of the Kansas City Chiefs. It's another thing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whole different scenario. And so the good news is to herald the victory of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, when John the Baptist comes, they're proclaiming the kingdom, that the king has arrived, that the king has won, his victory is sure, and his kingdom is forever. This would fly in the face of the rulers of that day. This would just completely upset the establishment, both the religious and political and everything else. But what they were saying is that Jesus is the sole authority, the autocratic, eternal king. Here he is, and he wins, no matter what. Here's the good news. The king has come. Welcome him. The return of the king. So they begin with that, but as we know, our expectations for what a king should be and what Jesus did often look quite a bit different. So they're expecting the first coming, the conquering king, to come in and get rid of the bad guys and set up his kingdom. But Jesus is not going to do it like that. Said he has this process that's been predicted from times long ago and it begins with humility and ends in suffering. But not just in suffering. Look at the facts of what happened. Verses 3 through 4. Verses 3 through 4 we're looking at right now and it says this. Here's what Paul delivered first importance, the most important thing, there are three facts here. Three facts, three verbs, all in our language, past tense. Christ died, that's what happened in the past. He was buried, and he was raised. 
Here's the facts, just the facts, ma'am. Even if you're not a Christian, everyone agrees Jesus died. It's not really a question. This guy was crucified. Everyone knows that. He was buried. No question. But the thing that sets us apart from all the other religions of the world, every single one of them, is the doctrine of the resurrection. This is not reincarnation. This is resurrection. And no other religion has this. It's just us, Christians. We are the only one. This is actually the gospel, you could say, of Jesus Christ, or you could say of the resurrection. Because if you do away with either or, you have no more Christianity. You do away with the resurrection, there's no Christ. You do away with Christ, there's no Christianity. We are the religion, the faith of the gospel of the resurrection. He, was di- he died, he buried, and he was raised. These are the incontrovertible facts of Christianity. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and alive today in me and in you. So, what happened? The facts. Died, buried, raised. This is what Paul presents. It's not that complicated of an argument at this point. Jesus died, he buried, he was raised. So start here and say, okay, here's the facts. Here's the facts. Now take one step over and he says, okay, now here is the presentation of those facts. Here are the facts, concrete, solid, objective. This is not a subjective experience. This is not to be interpreted in any way whatsoever. It's not art. It's fact. Boom. Then Paul presents the facts. Here they are. Christ died, buried, raised. Here's the gospel. And then, after he presents it, it says in verse 4, or sorry, excuse me, in verse 1, I preached the facts. Number 2, you received the facts. They received them. That's the second thing. They were present- so there's facts, presentation, and reception. Then, once those facts are received, something happens. There is a change. There is this aha moment where you're like, oh, boom, now I get it. This all makes sense. I believe. I believe. I believe that that wasn't just some other guy. I believe that that was the God-man. I believe that that was not just some other guy, but that was the Messiah predicted from long ago. I believe that that was not just some other guy, but that was the perfect sacrifice for my sins. I believe that what he did on the cross is enough to cover every single bad thing that I have ever done, am doing now, or will do in the future. That his sacrifice is so expensive, it covers the cost of all of my sin. His blood is more precious than all my sin. His sacrifice is more effective than any effect of anything I have ever done. And his resurrection is more powerful than anything else on the face of the planet. This is it, I believe. And boom, you're changed. At that moment, God declares the sinner righteous. You are justified. And as a result, you are forgiven you are cleansed, and you are saved. And from the gospel, from that good news, the Christian moves from being in sin and under under righteousness and forgiveness. And we who are churchy types call that experience being saved. So now you've been saved. All right. Now you've been saved. You weren't What did you just say? 
Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. You don't have to turn there now, but let me just say, follow it up later, because this is one of the most beautiful sections in the entire Bible. And it outlines this symmetry. Tells you this. There are two people in the world who have more influence on your existence than anyone else. Number one, Adam, the original human being, the first man. Number two, Christ. And what happens is this. As a human being, Adam's decision, the sin, the fall of humanity, and the curse that came along with it. And as a result, our world is filled with yuck. And we know it. That's Adam. But there is another man, and that man is unlike Adam. He is untouched by original sin. He is completely perfect. He is the God-man. And as a result, you are in Adam. Say, I will die to this and be raised to this and move into Christ. Then you are no longer associated with Adam, but you are associated with Christ. You're no longer with direction like Jesus. And which one you relate to will determine your destiny. Your eternal future, your purpose in life, meaning of depends on who you relate to more. Adam or Christ. And when you're in Adam, there is sin and judgment. When you're in Christ, there is forgiveness, righteousness, resurrection. So watch that theme as it develops throughout Scripture. It is beautiful, and you'll see it moving along throughout the pages of the Old Testament and into the New, and even in our daily experience today. And I'm not just waxing eloquent here for the fun, but I want to show how this impacts you today. So there are the facts of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and what he did for us. Now, let me give you one little insight. Nerdy insight that you may be able to scare your friends or impress your, or impress your friends, scare your enemies with, or not. But it's this. Super duper hooper. Super duper hooper. It's one of my favorite Greek words in the entire New Testament because in this verse, Three, you see it. It says, Christ died who pair our sins. Christ died for our sins. Now, why is for such a big deal? Because this is a sort of a monetary exchange. This, when Christ pays your penalty, he purchases your redemption. He exchanges his righteousness for your sin. And in that moment, that transition occurs. That is when beautiful change takes place when Christ dies for our sin. So there's the facts. That's the gospel. Here's the symmetry. Let me just step out for a minute and s- to symmetry. Adam, Christ. Okay? Adam, Christ. Which one you're in determines your life and where you'll go. All right. So 
Gospel passed. What happened? Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised. Boom. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Died, buried, raised. It's beautiful, profound. It is amazing. Yet, here is, if you're new to church, welcome to church. Christians make mistakes too. Here is where Christians like me, like us, get it wrong all the time. All the time. Oh, I've been saved. Cool. Done. Did. Check. Box. Done. Like, I remember going to youth camp, and there was this instrument I was praying, and we were all crying, and I came forward, and I got saved. Is that it? No. By no means. Salvation is not a one-time punctiliar event, but instead it is an eternal process. Let me show you how that works by playing Duck, Duck, Goose. Does that sound good? Okay. I need three volunteers. Go ahead and raise your hand if you want to volunteer. Oh, man, do I have a volunteer. Okay. Georgia, Eden, I need one more. Now, um, your dad's a lawyer, right? Did he sign all the, like, release forms and stuff like that? So you know you're consenting automatically by being up here. Okay. Um, Let's see. I need one more. Zion, come on, man. Let's go. Nope. All right. Ezra. Oh, wait, wait. No. No. Pastor Chuck. All right. Okay, good. I like this. Now, you guys know how to play Duck, Duck, Goose, right? Okay, please. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, not sure. Georgia, can you explain to Pastor Chuck how to play Duck, Duck, Goose? Well, everyone sits down, then someone's the goose, and then the goose, and then the Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead and sit down, everybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out being it. All right. Now, remember, there's an edge of the stage there. Don't run off of that. Okay. And there's some chords here. Don't trip on This is the registry, but I think it, we're good there. So don't worry about that one. Okay. You ready? Everybody ready? You sure? Okay. Duck. Nothing happened. All right. Duck, nothing. Goose. Okay, you got me. Good job. Thank you, everybody. Pastor Chuck, you need a help. Need help here, Pastor. Come on, Pastor Chuck. <laughs> All right. All right. Watch the stairs down the stairs, please. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Whew, now I'm done sweating. That was a little scary for me. All right. Here's the point of Duck, Duck, Goose. In that game, what you see are two punctiliar events and one thing that happens all of a sudden sets everything else in motion. In the Greek language, that is called aorist, aorist, perfect. You don't need to know Greek to know that. But here's what you need to know. In this thing, the verb aspect or what 
the apostle is trying to communicate through this beautiful symmetry that happens with Christ and Adam and us is that, for example, with Christ, you have a punctiliar event. He died, right? Boom, duck, he died, duck. Like, there's a process of dying, right? But when he dies, gives up his spirit, boom, dead. Then there's another event. He's buried. Again, punctiliar event. There may be an embalming and a process and blah, 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 blah. That not saying that happened with Christ. I'm just saying there's processes sometimes. And then it happens. There's the burial. Boom, done. Nothing changes. But what about the third one? When he is raised. That one is not just a punctiliar event. That is an event that happens but continues to go on happening forever and ever. Jesus Christ was and is and forever will be our resurrected Lord. He is always the resurrected Lord. He is alive today. He is alive forevermore. He will never die again. He is forever ongoing the resurrected Lord. And what that shows you is there's this symmetry, this pattern, it goes A-A-B. A-A-B. Punctiliar point, duck. Punctiliar point, duck. Goose. Everything's set in motion. The resurrection sets everything in motion for us as Christians. That's what happened to Christ. Now you think about it, I just got done telling you what happens to Christ happens to us. How does that work here? Look again at your text from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 3 through 4 are talking about who? It's not a hard one. Go for it. Who is verses 3 through 4 talking about? Christ Jesus. Exactly right. Now look at verses 1 through 2. Who is that talking about? Believers or Christians, the people in Corinth, you and me. Now Christ, in verses 3 through 4, died, buried, and raised. You and me is preached, received, and stand. Same thing. Preached, singular event. Received, singular event. Stand, something that goes on forever and ever. Just like the resurrection, so too our stand in Christ. It is not something that happened at a single point in time and stopped. It is something that happened and continues and goes on forever and ever. We stand and we continue to stand and we keep standing in our resurrected Lord who stays resurrected and keeps on living. There's this beautiful symmetry here going on in this passage, and the point of all of that is not just to wax eloquent on the uh, literary aspect of Scripture, but to say, look, what happened in the past was a punctiliar event. Boom, duck. But what happens in the present is an ongoing daily experience. The gospel is not a one-time thing. It is the single most important thing for your everyday life. Once you believe it's not done, it's just begun. If it were that way, I would be happy, actually. Because if it was one and done, we'd be like, okay, I believe, Jesus, let's go. Up to heaven, we're done. (laughs) I got saved, now I'm ready for heaven, right? 
But for whatever reason, God in his wisdom has decided to allow us to go through this long process of being saved and sanctified. And so we get saved, but then we got a long way to go of being saved. And there's still a lot of things he's working on me, and probably a few he's working on you. And he's working and working, and he keeps going until we're done, and we meet Jesus face to face. And that's why we stand in that grace and we stand in that grace and we stand every single day. See, Christians make the mistake of thinking, you know, it was just that one-time transaction. But it's a daily deal too. Just like the resurrection, every single day is the gospel. Repent, believe, obey. Repent, believe, obey. Repent, believe, obey. It's not just that one moment you came down to the stage and said, I'm sorry. But it is every single day. You see, we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Past, present, and future. So the process is hard, the process is not easy, the process is difficult, we all struggle, it's not over and it's long. But there is hope. And again, the same thing is true. What happens to Christ happens to us. So yeah, Christ lived, he suffered, and he died. Guess what will happen to us? We will live, we will suffer, and then we will die. Merry Christmas. If that were it, we're done, right? And it's miserable. What's the point? But because of the resurrection, and there is hope. You see, were it not for the resurrection, Christianity, this whole thing that we do every day, it'd be a total waste of time. But because of the resurrection, then nothing else really matters. Yes, there are other things that are hard. Yes, there are other things that are difficult. There are things that are too horrible to even speak of. But the reality of the resurrection guarantees that no matter what, Christ is risen from the grave and all is well. If Christ Jesus is truly alive, if he really lives and the resurrection is true and he's coming back again, what else is there? Nothing else matters. The resurrection means that every single day of your life can be redeemed. It means that every single drop of effort that you pour forth, whether it's successful or not, it means that nothing falls to the ground and dies that won't be brought to life again. Craig Bloomberg says it like this, the resurrection means that truth is stronger than falsehood, that good is stronger than evil, that love is stronger than hatred, and life stronger than death. I remind you, let me remind you, verse 1, of the gospel that I'm preaching to you that you received in which you stand. Christ was preached and received and the exchange was made. And here we are. A gospel-centered family. You will see in our mission vision that word right at the front. And that's on purpose. 
because this text says it is of first importance. We at Midland Free, going forward as a church, want to be gospel-centered above anything and everything else. We're not a community center. We're not an activities bank. We're not a social club. We are a gospel-centered community. We call it family, and I know that brings a lot of different connotations for different people, but we're talking about a biblical family. This should be a positive experience. Obviously, we all have our own issues, and we'll struggle through that, and that process of being saved, God will refine us by the way we rub each other, and often wrong. And that's okay. But the gospel means if Jesus is resurrected from the dead, then we will be too. As a gospel-centered family, then our goal at Midland Free is that the gospel is in everything. It's in everything. Every single thing. We don't want to leave it out. There's no point doinking around with silliness and other activities if the gospel ain't in it. Time is short. We have limited resources and only a little bit of energy. Let's put it into the stuff that matters. So, for example, I use this one in the first service. I don't know what requests are in right now, but let's say, for example, you request a reserve room for game night. We're probably going to ask you, how does that connect to the gospel? Are you going to pray? Is there going to be a devotion? I mean, I'm not saying you try to make it a mini church service, but are you reaching out to your friends? Are you inviting outsiders? What's going on here that's connected to our reason for existence? We're not just a building, we're a people, we're a group, we're a family, and we are doing this on purpose. And our mission, as of first importance, is to go after this thing right here, the good news of Christ and his kingdom. And we want to connect every single thing we do directly to that. The gospel past, the gospel present, the gospel future. Let me give you three applications before we close. They're pretty simple, straightforward, but I think it's an encouragement. I hope you see the message for today. And by the way, if you want, download the life group questions, even if you're not in a life group. And what I've done in there is I just attached my um, scriptural outline to that so you can see that symmetry later on. If you're interested in that, whether you're in a life group or not, just go to our website and download it and you can have that resource. But past, present, future... What Jesus did affects us today and gives us hope for the future. What Jesus did is not once and done. He's the resurrected Lord. It impacts me now in how I process everything. And it gives me hope for the future. Let me give you the examples here. One, application number one, don't give up on the gospel. Application number one, don't give up. Don't give up on the gospel. Keep working it. Keep working out your salvation. Repent, believe, every single day. Every single day, repent, believe, obey. There is something we can repent of every single day. And then believe in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is the payment for that. And then obey the very next system. That's the system at work in you. That's the thing that'll save you. Good works don't save you. The gospel does. And the gospel is not doing Jesus' righteousness and obey and follow him. Repent, believe, obey. Number one, don't give up. Keep working it. Work the system. Work it, work it, work it every day. Number two, ask yourself, even when you miss ask yourself the question, how does the gospel redeem this? How does the gospel redeem this? 
Because admittedly, there's times I go to bed and I'm like, boy, I bum that one. Ugh. But there is. Because if we believe the gospel, and we believe we can repent, and Jesus will forgive us, that we can believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, we can say next time it comes around. We're experience number 3,455. Chalk it up to another one. Repent, believe, obey. Take a deep breath. Number three, take a deep breath. And number three, take a deep breath. The reason is to take a deep breath is because if you're like me, you, you want to be an overachiever and you want to get it right and you want to get an A plus and you want to be righteous and then you're not and you feel bad and whatever. We need to take look. Jesus wins. I'm on his team. I may not be the best player on the team, but I'm on the team and that means my team wins. And it's going to be okay. day God can redeem this mess God can redeem this life because Jesus' blood is more precious, his sacrifice more effective and his resurrection more powerful than all my sin Lord, you win you win even when I don't Jesus wins gospel application, don't give up how does the gospel redeem and take a deep breath, three things past, present, future we preach the gospel, the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And the question for us is, are we in Adam or in Christ? And if in Christ, then everything's okay. Because the resurrection continues. Today, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Thank you for the resurrection. And I pray that it would be active and at work in me. I know that many times I feel like I'm stuck in a rut or still in the grave. And I pray that we'd hang on tight to him, repent, believe, and obey, and let the gospel work itself out in our lives, in our church, in our world. Help us, Lord, to be gospel-centered in everything we do. Amen.